Hey there, Freedom Fighters. I'm Andrew Warner, founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Before I started recording this interview, the founder you're about to meet told me something interesting about the Netflix prize. See, back in 2006, Netflix wanted to improve its recommendation engine, so it created a million-dollar tournament. Interestingly, the people who won weren't just outsiders, but they were a team of many competitors who joined up and won the Netflix prize of a million dollars. And that idea of a tournament where outsiders can compete to improve on a prediction model, that idea is the basis of the organization you're about to find out about. Arnold Castillo created CrunchDAO to create competitions like the Netflix Prize where outsiders could compete to create better prediction models. This interview is sponsored by Origami, which creates DAOs for ambitious communities. To hear interviews like this, check out my DAO series on Origami's site. Go to joinorigami.com slash podcast. You'll see how the team behind Origami got over 1,000 Y Combinator founders together to form a venture DAO that made headlines for raising $80 million, as well as other stories of people who are creating new organizations like the one you're about to hear. Again, go to joinorigami.com slash podcast. Here's the interview. Give me an example of the type of analysis that you expect the CrunchDAO team to do in the future? The obvious one, because this is our DNA, it's in finance to make a market prediction. But tomorrow it could be any kind of problem. You could think of a weather forecast. You can think of a medical cancer. You could think of even of a VC data set. There's a lot of AI in all these subjects. But today the main focus is on finance. And we believe that because finance is a complex system, because when you look at stock market, there's a lot of noise and finding the signal within the noise is really complex. And this is where our work can be really useful because we can access predictions from 2000 data scientists and basically make an ensemble of the best solutions. And the ensemble is in AI much better than any good solution. Why did you need to form a DAO to do this? Why couldn't you just organize a regular company and start handing people rewards based on their performance? The interest of the DAO is that you can reward everybody based on their contribution. That's very important that you can have everybody working in the community and having a share of the performance of, of, the, of the community. But you can have a lot of different subjects that you can work on. This is why we have several bounties from time to time and it's much flexible and, and easier to do it in a DAO format. For us, when we talk about DAO and Web3, we really see it as a tool. It's a tool to incentivize and align the performance of the data scientists who work with us and the business in general. If it was one of the more traditional organizational structures, you might pay a data scientist for enhancing the data, for sharing their models. They would get paid, and that's the end of it. With a DAO, they get paid in your token, which is the crunch token, which if they hold on to, allows them to benefit from the upside of the overall organization and other people's contributions to the research. Am I right? In today's environment, in the crypto environment, you cannot really say what you just said, so I'm not going to say you're right. But people who receive the token, they can exchange it for USD, like if it's just a standard payment token, that's what they can, you can see it as a payment token. But the thing is that you can do much more with a token that you cannot do with USDC, which just, is uh, just normal bills. Basically, today we have the tournament and people are rewarded. You have to think that maybe tomorrow we can ask people to not only give a predictions, but 
put stack in the game. You're not going to do it. It's not going to be flexible to do it with dollar or whatever invoice or whatever. But you're doing it with a token is very easy. Like you do a proof of stake on Ethereum. You can just stake Ethereum tomorrow. You can maybe stake Crunch. And if your prediction is good, you get a higher reward and so on. And there is also a, a way to incentivize people who hold the, the Crunch. Maybe they get a better share of the profit or uh, contribution of the DAO. They can get a higher reward. So it's m much more flexible than a, a, a normal system like the old system. And the reason that you say that you can't repeat and agree with what I said earlier is you don't want your token to be considered a security. You don't want it to be considered a way of giving people a profit for other people's work. That's exactly true. Right. Obviously, that's any project today. Uh, you have to be very careful. So our token is seen in Europe as a utility token, in the US as a payment token, and we're fine with that. And okay. basically, we're not selling the token to any U.S. person. So we know we don't, don't get any problem as whether it's a U.S. Uh, investment contract. That's the fact. Today, things are not clear. And we're waiting for the SEC to make things very clear so that we know what we can say, do, and like any uh, project. Just give us some clarity and we'll work within the clarity. Give us lack of clarity and we won't be able to work. Um, your team told me that you have revenue of $1.5 million. How could you have revenue of that size at this point? It's a pretty early project. Who told you that is not, I think, the team. It's probably peer agency. Okay. This is token that we sold, so it's future turnover. Isn't it more like an investment where you got $1.5 million? To oh, I see. You can't use the word investment, but it's no. you sold those tokens. You ended up with $1.5 in your treasury. Huh? It's turnover. It's future turnover. It's like you'd make an invoice for future turnover and you receive dollar or euro or whatever or ethereum for future turnover who paid you that and for what it's investors are mainly a lot of people from the financial industry okay. a lot of family offices a few vcs because they want to support the project and they believe they can use the service in due time because their vision some of them is they want to have an advantage in making predictions on investments. If they could tap into CrunchDAO and have your team, your community, give them better analysis than others, they'll have in outsized performance. Exactly. If they want, they can use tomorrow the community to get a prediction on their own problem, whether it's a right. market neutral or, or long-only portfolio. They can give us their data set. We can play it and they can pay with the Crunch token. They bought in advance the token because they bought it probably cheaper than what they would buy today if they had to do it today. I see. They're buying the tokens for the ability to use those tokens in the future to exactly. get analysis. Or they could sell it, presumably, if they decide that they don't want to use it themselves, let someone else use it. If there is a market. But today, we, we don't have any market for the token. That's what I've seen. I think I have to buy through your site and sell through your site, right? Through app. But as a US investor, are you US? <laughs> I am in the US, yes. So, you so I can't do it. To, no. How is it for you working in this kind of environment? You're a person who's been in finance for years. You're an entrepreneur who started three companies, two of them at least have sold. How is it for you to operate in an environment where you keep having to justify your legitimacy before you can even do the work you started out to do? So what, what we focus on first is the community. So we're building the community. That's the key important thing for us. Second, I love finance because as you said, I've been in finance. I've been in investment banking. I worked at Lehman Brothers. 
as a financial analyst. I worked at Dutch Bank. I was professor in finance in Paris. And I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I wanted to come back to finance. So for me, it's being able to be an entrepreneur in finance is really what I like the most. And we're just building. And we really believe in this DAO approach where we have a community we can work together. And you have different stakeholders in the community. Obviously, you have people who bring money so that we can live because as any startup you need you have a, a run you need a runway so basically mm -hmm. you need financing but you also need the community and you need a team to drive this project so this is what we do and the DAO is really great to do this how did you get the original early DAO members we started doing a hackathon that's what we did uh, because we wanted to test actually we wanted to test our own data set we we started to do uh, our own data set and we said, okay, let's try to to see what we get from the community. And we did the hackathon. And we actually were impressed by the quality of what we got. It was better than what we did internally. Uh, but what is interesting, for example, you have a lot of AutoML projects, like H2O, another one, I don't recall the name, but they are doing, they are selling the product. Actually, they are valued like billions of dollars. And they are doing great doing machine learning and, and predictions. But if you rank these guys in all tournaments, they are below the top 100. And if you make an ensemble of the best solution that we have on our end, it's even better than that. So for us, this is the, the big advantage, is that having a community is, is much more powerful. So how did you get the original people who were in the hackathon? I have three team members from the founders who are from School 42, which is an IT school in Paris, very famous in Paris. And we did the hackathon in, in, in this school. So the first guys came from this school. And then once you had that hackathon, you were able to build and grow the community. How? Mainly word of mouth. You have a lot of data scientists who like to do tournaments, whether it's on Kaggle, whether it's MRI, whether it's Data Challenge, it's another one. And when they start to learn and to hear about these tournaments, then they, if they like what you do, they start to, to join and it will grow like that. It's really organic. I didn't know what School 42 was. I just actually asked ChatGPT <laughs> about it. It was started in 2013 by a French billionaire. It's a tuition-free computer programming school in Paris designed for, based on peer-to-peer -peer collaboration, project-based learning. And I see that in a short time, it's gained a lot of prestige. Yeah, I think they are, in, they, they are the same probably in 10 or 10 countries. They have set mm -hmm. up School 42 in, in 12, 10 countries. And yes, it's really, it's really funny because it's peer-to-peer -peer review. It means, first of all, you don't have to have any diploma to get into this school. You have people who started, like people in our team, some started coding like at 12. And what they like to do is coding. And they probably, maybe they fail in their studies. They did nothing. But they can still go to the school. You have a, actually the first exam you do is online. You have three questions that you have to rate, solve online. And then if you are selected, you go to something they call the swimming pool. You have one month where you can work 24 hours if you want, and, and they maybe take the 10% best at the end of this one month. I see. So, you, so they just, you're just being selected like that, and then you go, and then the school, you have to do different exercise, and you're reviewed by your peers. There's no professors, okay? So you just code different languages, different projects, and you have a peer review, and at the end, you get your diploma. I could see then why that, community would be such a good community for what you're envisioning for CrunchDAO. They understand results. They understand working through this type of peer-reviewed experience. Okay. How did you get the investors? We basically had one guy who was really interested in AI who came to us and said that he 
was really interesting in the project and basically he connected with many, many investors. That's the way it happened. So it's okay. basically a business angel who helped us. I noticed that you say you have how many data scientists in the community? Today it's 2,500. But when I went to the Discord, it was fewer than 2,000 people in the Discord who had signed up ever. Where's the community then? You have 2,000 people in the Discord? I thought it was fewer than 2,000 people. Maybe I'm misreading um, it. I think it's 2,200 today. Okay. Uh, maybe not all the data scientists are in the Discord channel. So then how else do you keep the community aligned? They come to the, to the website and mm -hmm. they can play the tournaments. They download the data, they play the tournament, they push the predictions, and they, that's where they go. So it's 2,000 people who are not necessarily talking to each other, but participating together through these tournaments. And I think they get a notebook, which is a digital notebook, right? With the data that they need and so on. Exactly. You had just announced a prediction competition. So let's, yeah, so. Tell me about The, the tournament is Adia Lab, Adi. Market Predictions Tournament. Adia Lab is an independent organization, obviously doing research, and it is sponsored by Abu Dhabi Investment Authority from the Emirates. And so what is very interesting is that Adia Lab is trying, is testing different solutions, and Adia Lab believes that using a community uh, of data scientists, like using CrunchDAO basically, they can get better predictions. That's what they want. They have they can access anybody they want. They can have, if you look at the, the board of, of Adia Lab, you have PhDs, even Nobel Prize. So they can have any data scientists they want. But they know that if they get predictions from their own, everybody best prediction will be, everybody will follow the best prediction. So you will end up having one prediction. Uh, using a community, you have different uh, predictions, uh, different people should be giving different skills. And that's a better, uh, that's a better uh, approach to, to ensemble and, and to get the best prediction. And I asked you before we got started, what are they looking for predictions for? What data are you getting? And you said, we don't know. We don't know even what the data is, right? Exactly. We have no clue what the data is. It's totally obfuscated. So we know it's, we believe actually, we don't even know. We believe it's about the stock market, that it's equities. But okay. We have no clue. We don't know what the ratios are. They have, we have features in the data set because in the data set, you have the X, which are the features and the target. We don't know what the features are. We don't know what the target is. We don't know what they're looking for in the target. Could be total return, could be sharp, could be some kind of residual. We have no clue. But the good thing is that they gave mm -hmm. us this data set. The data scientists are taking the data set and doing their skills, which is machine learning. And whether it's a a financial problem or a medical problem doesn't make any difference. The data is totally obfuscated. It's standardized. And so they can do whatever they can do whatever machine learning they want on this data set. Data scientists can take data that they don't even know what it's about and somehow crunch it and end up making predictions about what other data will be added onto it in the future without knowing anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. They have many skills. They will look at correlation between features, try to eliminate some features, mm -hmm. try to create new features. They can make synthetic features, whatever. There are many, I, I don't even know <laughs> what they can do, but they have many skills they can apply. 
and, and then they get the better prediction. So you're saying they might even have a hunch that the weather somehow relates to the data they're given. They could add that weather data in, try to see if there's a correlation. If actually, there is, no. Actually, no, because there would be a leak in the data. So they don't know. They have dates, but dates are not just, they don't have the dates. It's just just telling you this is coming after this. It's just that you don't know which year, which month it, it is. So you can even say the weather or whatever. Okay. The GDP at this period or the inflation at this period was X and you add it in the data set, you cannot. So unless the inflation is already in the data set, you cannot add any information into your data set, into the data it's set. Only what's there and that based Nothing on else. that, yeah. without any outside knowledge, you have to make a prediction. Exactly. Which is great because it makes the competition really a machine learning competition. You cannot come with any, with like financial skills or your own data. Whatever you can have to make your prediction is in the data set already. You got started as an entrepreneur three companies ago. What's the first business that you started? So the first business, year 2000, it's an internet business. I did photo printing business. Yeah, take me back to that time. Netflix started. Netflix started with DVDs in the mail. Exactly. So we did the rolls in the mail. So they would send you rolls in the mail, you would print them out and mail them to their house. We would, they would send rolls by mail. We would print them out. We would give this, the, actually, we, the, you could view your photos on the, web, on the website. Okay. You could pick the photos you wanted to get to receive, and then you would receive only the one picture that you would like on the 24-roll picture. Wow. It, it's a great idea. The idea was that, obviously, we knew we were going to move to digital. That's what, mm-hmm. That was the goal. But the... Maybe the good or bad idea, depends how you see it, was to say, okay, since 98% of the market is still on rolls, just like Netflix, we wanted to do DVDs. We said, we're going to do the rolls to start with, but we will get clients on board. And then when they move to digital camera, then we'll have the clients already. But the, to tell you the end of the story, it was a good idea from a strategical standpoint, but from an economical standpoint, it was a very bad idea because the cost of receiving a role scanning a roll, showing you the pictures, and then mm. having you to pick which pictures you wanted to get was not really... Basically, the, the, the acquisition cost of the client was very expensive. The servicing was expensive. The acquisition yeah. came from where? How did you get new customers? It could come directly or we were doing partnerships. With, we did the partnership with like, it was called, for example, Tiscali, which was internet service provider. We made partnership with ClubMed, and then we would get a huge amount of, of roles. But we were happy to go to move into the digital world because then the model became much more profitable. That was a model where people took photos using digital cameras, uploaded well, them. Yeah, they just sent by, by, the, by internet, uploaded their photos and received prints. And then you moved at the end, in year 2000, probably six, we moved to photo books printing. You just yeah. put photos into a photo book and have them print. I saw on your LinkedIn that you had reached 25 million in sales before you sold the business. And it came through acquisitions. Acquisitions of what? Uh, yeah, well, we made several acquisitions in the process of building this business. Obviously, Kodak was selling a lot of businesses, divesting everything. We bought a, a photo finishing lab, digital photo finishing lab from Kodak phone because we needed the, the labs. And it's very complicated to set up a lab in, in France because you have regulations. You're using chemicals, so it's really regulated. 
So we were able to build the business through acquisitions. It stayed the same over time. Yeah. Like once it went from printing rolls of film to printing digital, that was where you were. Yeah, ma mainly, yes. The, the main What's the big takeaway that? you took from the business, from building it? Exactly what we started to talk about is that you should really, maybe it's better to take when there's a new trend, a new business, like the digital camera was coming in, maybe it's better to only focus on the 2% and do it well. So that when the 2% becomes 10 and 20 and 100%, basically at the end, you're best, you're the first, you're the first on this market. Instead of mm. doing roles in order to be able to get the digital. You see the people who are still living in the past, knowing that eventually exactly. they're going to live to the new future. You say, who are the wackos who are living in the future, even though it doesn't make sense today? They have digital cameras. They can't really print it. There are not a lot of them. Their friends might think they're a little bit weird. Focus on them with the vision that they will become the, the future, that everyone else is going to be like them. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big important lesson. So what makes sense on the strategical point of view? Because you say, okay, 98% of my market is here today. So maybe I should focus on that. But I think it's better to start little, but to focus on the 2% that will grow to eventually 100%. What about Assureback? This was the insurance broker that you started in 2013. Mm -hmm. By the way, it looks like you took a few years off, like three years. You get to go take a vacation, do something fun. Actually, when you sell a business, you have to, to work a little bit for the acquirer. I see. So okay. basically, I sold uh, the first business in 2008, and I spent years working with the, 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 the people who acquired the company. And then the next business was the insurance broker, Assureback. What yes. did you do there that worked and what was something that you wish you'd done differently? Actually, it worked It worked very well because we created a system, a broker, where we could compare different offers mm -hmm. and then we would recommend basically the best offer to the client. The difference between a typical comparator where you take the clients and you give the comparator to the broker or to the insurance company, we were able to be, we were actually the, the broker ourselves. So we were selling the contract to the client. So we are not just getting a lead and getting a client and selling a lead. We're getting a client and selling an insurance for several years, on average five years. The standard model was I go in, fill out a form, do a search, and then I get hit with somebody else who I have no connection with, who your site says is a good match for me. You make a sale once and that's it. But being a broker, you get an ongoing relationship, ongoing revenue, and there isn't a third party that's in there. Exactly. We were like a world broker because we had we were able to sell the contract on our own website. We were delivering the contract. It could be AXA, Alliance, generally this Euro big European insurance company. And, and we were doing all the work. We were getting the premium in, paying the claims. We were doing the whole work for the insurance company. We were like an IT partner. But the good thing is that we were able to give this comparison and give the best quotes to the clients. Because the clients, if you look at the, even a car insurance, you think they're all the same, but they're all different. So depending on your car, maybe you should better be on this, in this insurance company rather than in this one. If you have a Tesla, you probably have big difference between one contract and another. Why did you sell that business in 2019? I wanted to come back to finance, actually. I wanted to do this. It was not crunched out at the beginning, not exactly the way we do, we're doing it today, but I wanted to come back to finance. I wanted to use AI in finance, basically. What was the original vision? We started with uh, our own data set and trying to see if, if with uh, AI, we could actually have a strategy. And from that, we moved to, with this hackathon to, to make tournaments. And then we decided, recently, we decided that we can, because we have this great community, we can actually have 
other clients power their hedge fund or whatever use our community to get predictions on that on their data set now that you've got people not computers doing the research how do you keep your community going what do you do to keep the to keep people incentivized to keep them caring to keep them connected the idea is that when we onboard a new client the process will stop at a step one will be <clears throat> that you make a tournament in this tournament there is a big prize in the case of Adia Lab market prediction tournament it's a hundred thousand dollar prize for the which is shared between the the top 10 uh, winners and that will bring people to the community obviously but then there will I be see. another one and and ideally if you have a uh, a uh, few new clients every year, that's a lot of money to be shared with the community. And then once this first step one is done of the tournament, what is interesting is that the data scientists, they don't only take give predictions, they share the codes that they use so we can get new predictions on the fly going forward. And they will be remunerated and rewarded for any usage of the code that they share. So... Basically, once you have worked on a tournament, you leave your code there. And if the client wants to use your predictions uh, once more or every week, whatever, you get a share of the profit again. The share comes in the form of Crunch, the token that you've created, right? Yes. I looked at some data scientists' write-ups of their experience. And one of the things they said was when they join, they can't just go and participate. There was somebody who would onboard them, a human being who talked to them, who walked them through Right? Yes, we, that's what we've done so far. We mm -hmm. do one-to-one -one onboarding because we want to know who, who are the people who are joining. There's also a rule that you cannot create several uh, accounts. You have one account, mm -hmm. one person, one account. So yes, we've been making one-on-one -on -one onboarding so far. And it's that one-on-one -on -one onboarding. It is the notebook that I mentioned earlier, which is a collection of data in, not a file, but in an online experience, right, where they could get it. Anything else that you do to keep people engaged? Yeah, there is a Discord channel also where people can come and ask questions and, and learn. And uh, so we also have, have this Discord, which is great. I'm in the Discord. I wanted to go and see how people communicate what they do. Uh, and then you also have governance, right? Token holders get to govern and guide the organization. Yeah, exactly. When Whenever we want to propose something, actually, even actually the communities often propose uh, new things. We have votes uh, on the different proposals. We had, for example, big question on whether people should stake on their model and how it should happen. I told you, for example, that we believe like in the Ethereum mechanism, you have a proof of stake. We thought that in our system, we could also have a proof of stake so that data scientists can actually put stake in the game on, on, on their predictions. Meaning and you so make we, a prediction made a vote. and you give some tokens to say, I believe in it this much. That I exactly. am to bet this. I'm really confident I did a great job because there's a way, there's a way to do predictions and, and data scientists know it. It's very easy to get wrong or to what we call overfit. And so the way you do your science is very important. And you are, if you are very confident in what you've done is good, you can stake tokens on your prediction. All that you're saying makes so much sense. Community gets tokens. They get an ability to vote. They get an upside for helping each other and helping the organization grow. They get the, the governance. All of this is what goes into DAOs. As a smart person who's been in business, in finance, in DAOs, maybe you can answer this. What's the challenge that DAOs are having? Why aren't DAOs more prolific considering how logical it is the way you're describing it? 
Yeah, I think in general, DAOs will, will grow. There are many model business models where DAOs are very, would be very powerful. Mm -hmm. Not all the business models, but I was talking to someone recently. He said, why Uber wouldn't be a DAOs? DAO, basically. You have members who are people who are driving their car mm -hmm. and you have clients and that's it. And the IT behind it is very small. I don't think it's that big of a deal. So if everybody was organizing to a DAO and they decide what development they do, basically, you know what you have to do, that would be more, much more powerful, I think, to have a DAO in this, in this example. But there are many businesses where, where you would see it. And I think it's going to come, it's coming, there's going to be more and more DAO. There's going to be also uh, better regulations to explain exactly how it should work and, and what you can do and cannot do. Since we're working with, with Adia Lab, who is in Abu Dhabi, we've looked into Abu Dhabi global market. They just issued a first draft of the DAO foundation they want to launch in the coming weeks. And we're talking, looking into this because we believe that that's the way to go. So I think there will be more and more DAOs. But the obstacle today to having more of them is why aren't there more now? It's, it's, I think it's a matter of also a philosophy of how do you want to see the business. People have come from a couple of centuries of shareholding and you have to think, okay, can I do a business without having a shareholder? Only stakeholders. And that's right. a big, a big challenge. Even in terms of uh, raising money, maybe if you have an equity uh, company, it's easier than if you are a DAO. Obviously with the winter we've, we had, we are having right now, winter. probably people are thinking equity is easier. But you're saying long-term, this just makes sense. It's going to take a while for people to figure out where it makes sense and how to work with stakeholders who are part of the business, not just investors in the business. Exactly. I think we, I believe in a system where all the stakeholders have a stake in the game yeah. and can build together the business. All right. And that's what you've got going on right now at CrunchDAO. One of the things that I love about CrunchDAO and other DAOs is you could see the inner workings of the organization without being a part of it. I did it. You just go into the site, which is crunchdow.com, and then go into the Discord community and see how people interact, see what they're working on, and, and just be a part of it before you're officially a part of it. Thanks so much for being on here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Andrew.